0: Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning as we worship our God together. On the back of your bulletins are the announcements. Uh, We will be having lunch, and lunch will be followed by an afternoon service. And The afternoon service will be around the Lord's table, so I trust you'll prepare your hearts to meet with God around His table this afternoon. Wednesday, we have prayer meeting on Zoom. There is a deacons meeting on Saturday, so if there's an issue that you think the deacons need to know about. You can see one of them. They'll be meeting this coming Saturday. And then uh, Tyler Thompson has has expressed a desire to commit himself to this assembly and to follow the Lord in baptism. And so his testimony is on the back table. I don't see him here yet this morning. But again, I would mention that if you have a question uh, about him that you after reading his testimony, you're to see him. If those questions go unanswered, then you can come to me and we can see about resolving those things. So uh, we delight in, in his testimony and to hear what God has done in his life and look forward to his baptism then in the near future. Well, that's all the announcements that I have as we give ourselves to the worship of God I just want to remind you of your identity in Christ Jesus. In Titus chapter 2, Titus speaks about the work of Jesus Christ and therefore how we are identified as those who have come to trust in him. Titus says this concerning Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous of good works. Mr. Spurgeon said, Christians are to feel, I do not belong to the world, I do not belong to myself, I belong only to Christ, and I am set aside by him for himself only, and his I will be. Silver and the gold are his, the cattle upon a thousand hills are his, but he makes small account of them. The Lord's portion is his people. We are his possessions, and we've gathered to worship him. Would you just take a moment to prepare your hearts to worship the God who owns us? Our call to worship comes from 1 Peter chapter 2. It's inside your bulletin. Again, it is a portion of scripture in which Peter says something concerning our identity in Christ, who we are as a chosen people. And then he also then goes on to speak about our responsibility abstaining from that which is evil. Let our good deeds be seen among men. So will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with this responsive reading. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the
1: soul. Amen.
0: God's special people, and therefore praise should be upon our lips. Let's take the Trinity hymn books and turn to hymn number 683. 683. Praise him, praise him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. 683.
2: Pray. Heavenly Father and Savior Jesus Christ, we come and worship you this morning for all the great and wonderful things that you have provided for us. We thank you for bringing us through yet another week and allowing us to gather here together this morning to worship you and to hear your word. We thank you for the mercy that we have found in you and the forgiveness of our sins even those that we may have committed this last week. We pray that You would help us to have diligent ears and a responsive heart to what You speak to us through Your Word today. In Christ's name, Amen. Amen.
0: You may be seated. <clears throat> now take your Trinity hymn books and turn with me to 175 him that points us to the suffering of our Lord and his work there on the cross. Man of sorrows, what a name for the son of God who came. But we end always with hallelujah, what a savior. One (laughs) hundred seventy five.
2: Bibles to Matthew 27. Matthew chapter 27. We'll be reading verses 1 through 32 this morning. As I was reviewing this for this morning, uh, one thing stood out to me, and that was the amazing thing of seeing all the pictures that we see of what was actually taking place spiritually as this was all going on. And the most clearest picture of that we'll read this morning is the substitutionary atonement that Bar- Barabbas experiences as Christ takes His place in His punishment for what He deserved. That's exactly what's going on. And it was a great reminder to me and hopefully to all of you that that is exactly what Christ did for you and I as well. So let us read Matthew 27, verses 1 through 32. When it was early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to execute him. They tied him up, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor. Now when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus had been condemned, he regretted what he had done and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priest and the elder, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is that to us? You take care of it yourself. So Judas threw the silver coins into the temple and left. And then he went out and hanged himself. The chief priest took the silver and said, It is not lawful to put this into the temple treasury, since it is blood money. After consulting together, they bought the potter's field with it as a burial place for foreigners. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price of the one whose price had been set by the people of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Then Jesus stood before the governor And the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You say so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not respond. Then Pilate said to him, Don't you hear how many charges they are bringing against you? But he did not answer even one accusation, so that the governor was quite amazed. During the feast, the governor was accustomed to release one prisoner to the crowd, whomever they wanted. At that time, they had in custody a notorious prisoner named Jesus Barabbas. So after they assembled, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who was called to Christ? For for they knew that they had handed him over because of envy. As he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent a message to him. Have nothing to do with that innocent man. I have suffered greatly as a result of a dream about him today. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to have Jesus killed. The governor asked them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? They all said, crucify him. He asked, why? What wrong has he done? But they shouted more insistently, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he could do nothing, but that instead a riot was starting, he took some water, washed his hands before the crowd, and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. You took care of you take care of it yourselves. In reply all the people said, Let his blood be on us and on our children then he released Barabbas for them. But after he had Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the governor's residence and gathered the whole cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe around him. And after braiding a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and kneeling down before him, they mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews! They spat on him and took the staff and struck him repeatedly on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes back on him. And then they led him away to crucify him. And as they were going out, they found a man from Cyrene named Simon, whom they forced to carry his cross. This morning, as
0: we pray together, we especially want to remember the Grace Baptist Church in Essex, Ontario, Canada, with Pastor John Wakefield. So let us seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we approach you this morning, we do so with a sense of humility, as we think of the very Son of God being willing to be mocked and ridiculed and led away to be crucified, to be falsely accused of wrongdoing. And yet, Father, we know that He went through all this in order that He would go to the cross and take our sins upon Himself, that we might know the forgiveness of sin and that we might be reconciled to the true and living God. And therefore, Father, this morning we we are humbled and we are sobered by that reality, but yet our hearts are filled with thanksgiving and joy for so great a salvation that you have provided for us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that the gospel would be proclaimed this day here and around the world and that upon hearing the gospel you might be pleased to bring others to see their need, of a Savior, and that today would be the day of salvation for some, that You would grant unto them faith and repentance, that they might be added to the kingdom of heaven. And so bless, we pray, throughout this day, those who have the responsibility of proclaiming the Word of God. May You, Father, use them, and Father, we pray that Your name would be glorified, in how your word is received and responded to. Father, we pray especially for our brothers and sisters there in Essex, Ontario. We thank you for the many years of fellowship that we've had with the brethren there. We thank you, Father, for their pastor, John Wakefield. and We ask that you'll continue to give him wisdom and help as he seeks to shepherd the people of God in that place. We thank you for recent being able to open up to have normal worship services there in that country. And we would ask that as the people gather together, they would give you thanks. For often we take for granted even being able to assemble together. We thank you that they're able to do so. And Father, we're thankful for the way that you've been pleased to bless in even providing them with a gift. Another, another deacon, and we would pray that as his ordination comes up in the next couple of weeks, that the people of God would be thankful and rejoice in this gift that you've given to them in another man who can serve in the office of the diaconate. Father, we would pray as well this morning once again for our country. We, we thank you for the many freedoms that we do have. We, we see lawlessness. We, we see evil all around us. And yet, Father, we're still a country that is free. We're still a country that we can gather together without fear of civil authorities coming in and persecuting your people. We thank you for that gift. But, Father, we have not been good stewards of that gift And therefore we pray that you would have pity upon us and mercy upon us and do not give to us what we deserve. Do not turn us over to our reprobate minds. But, Father, may you work in hearts and lives and may you be pleased to bring many into the kingdom of God. May may we see an awakening in our day. Would you do that work? And therefore may we be faithful in proclaiming the whole counsel of God to that end. Again, this morning we would pray as well for those who aren't with us. Some are on beds of affliction. and Father, how we pray that you would watch over them. We pray that you might bring them relief, that they might be able to be back with us again, worshiping together. But as your will is done, may your people trust in you with all their heart, leaning not to their own understanding, but in all their ways acknowledging you, knowing that you will direct their path. Do not leave us alone this morning, we pray, but meet with us as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, before we come to open the word of God, take your hymns of grace, the hymns of grace, and turn to number 80, a hymn that speaks of God's great love for his people, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. Number 80 in the hymns of grace. may be seated. Deuteronomy chapter 14. Deuteronomy chapter 14. This morning we will consider the first 21 verses. You can follow along as I read Deuteronomy 14 starting at verse 1. You are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourself nor shave your forehead for the sake of the dead. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for His own possession out of all the peoples who are are on the face of the earth. You shall not eat any detestable thing these are the animals which you may eat. The ox, the sheep, and the goat, the d- deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. Any animal that divides the hoof and has a hoof split in two and chews the cud among the animals that you may eat. Nevertheless, You are not to eat these among those which chew the cud or among those that divide the hoof in two, the camel, the rabbit, the sephon. For those they chew the cud, they do not divide the hoof and they are unclean for you. The pig, because it divides the hoof, but it does not chew the cud, it is unclean for you. You shall not eat any of their flesh nor touch their carcasses. These you may eat of all that are in the water. Anything that has fins or scales you may eat. But anything that does not have fins or scales you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. You may eat any clean bird. But these are the ones which you shall not eat. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard. The red kite, the falcon, and the kite in their kinds, and every raven in its kind, the ostrich, the owl, the seagull, the hawk in their kind, the little owl, the great owl, the white owl, the pelican, the carrion, vulture, the cormorant, the stork, the heron in their kinds, the hoop, hoopoe, and the bat. And all the teeming life with wings are unclean to you. They shall not be eaten. You may eat any clean bird. You shall not eat anything which dies of itself. You may give it to the alien who is in the town, so that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and you shall not boil a young goat. In its mother's milk. We'll stop our reading there. Aren't you delighted you're here this morning? I, I, I was thinking as I came to this passage a couple of thoughts. Number one, with all the grilling and barbecuing going on the next couple of days, there must be some relevance for us in this passage. I was also thinking this is one of those passages in which if you're reading through the Bible in a year, it's probably one that you skip over fairly quickly. The clean and the unclean animals. Which ones you should eat and which ones shouldn't you eat and, and what's the relevance of all this for you and me today. And yet the Word of God is profitable. All the Word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that we would be the men of God that we ought to be. And if that's true and we believe it, then this passage also has relevance for us today. And I I hope we'll get there as we look at these things together. But as we think of our lives as believers, the one thing the Apostle Paul was often concerned about with the early church was that their walk lived up to their profession. That was Paul's desire, that their walk would live up to their profession. In Ephesians 5 and verse 15, Paul says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, To please Him in all respects. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside redeeming the time. There was a concern about how we walked in this world. We're surrounded by unbelievers. We're surrounded by many who oppose the gospel that we hold to. And so how are we to live among them? How are we to act? You see, Paul's concern is that these believers so lived that their behavior was fitting to their identity, that their behavior was was worthy of the gospel. To live a life contrary to your profession as a child of God would be to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. When we profess one thing and yet live differently, we're taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. So often we can be guilty of honoring God with our lips while our hearts are far from Him and our lives demonstrate something quite different. If you carry the name of Yahweh, you must not carry it in vain. The child that bears the family's name will either bring credit or discredit to that name. Someone has written this. Lord, may I live, Lord, may I live, that all may see the love of Christ revealed in me, and help me flee all sin and shame, lest others scoff at your dear name. That was the concern of the Apostle Paul's. And as we come to Deuteronomy 14, it's the concern of Moses for the children of God who are about ready to enter into the promised land. They were to so live that their behavior demonstrated that they were not of this world. That they belonged to a different family. They they were to so live that they demonstrated by their lives, they were adopted into another family, the family of God. And they bore His name. And Moses wanted them to remember that as they entered into this new land and as they began to have contact with new people who worshipped other gods and did things differently than they do, he wanted them to bear a testimony that would bring honor to God's name, and not bear reproach upon His name. And so here in Deuteronomy 14, Moses sets before them two, two distinct factors that ought to be borne out in the way they lived as they entered into the promised land. One was their identity. And the other was their activity. And Moses in Deuteronomy 14 stresses those two things. Your identity and your activity ought to distinguish you from those who are outside of the kingdom of God. This week I read a a quote by Mr. Spurgeon that said something like this. It is a sad day for the church and a sad day for the world when there is no distinction between the child of God and the world. There ought to be a distinction between us. So notice with me these two things. First of all, their identity. In the first two verses, Moses addresses the dignity of those individuals by highlighting their identity because of their relationship to God. He reminds them of their identity because of their relationship to Yahweh. And there are four things emphasized concerning their identity. First of all, they were part of the family of God. They were a part of the family of God. Moses says, You are the sons of Yahweh, the Lord, your God. You have been made children of the Lord, your God. He's telling them, That it isn't simply that He has directed them to follow Him. Remember last week? He's given them directions. You've got to follow Me. You're to fear Me. You're to obey Me. You're to listen to My voice. You're to serve Me. You're to cling to Me. But also recognize this. By God's grace, He has adopted you into His family. You are His. This is how we're to think about ourselves. We are the children of God. We're to think about Yahweh as our Father. And we're to think about ourselves as His children. And we should expect to behave... As family members. Now, not everyone is a child of God. You're not a child of God simply because you were born. You're not a child of God simply because you're in a Christian home. You're not a child of God simply because you're an American. You're not a child of God simply because you're seated in a church. We become children of God, which we aren't by nature. By nature, we're children of wrath. We are of our father, the devil. We belong to his family. But by God's grace, he sent his son, and even as we read a bit this morning, to to take the mocking and to take the persecution and the accusations, he, he took that upon himself in order that he might redeem a people for himself. So that those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are the children of God. So this morning, if you're here, and you think for some reason, because of something you're doing, or or because of who you are, just by nature, that, that somehow you're a child of God, that doesn't work. We become children of God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we become children of God, being adopted into His family, we will bear His name, and I ought to live my life as a child of God. To, to say I'm adopted into His family, and yet live contrary to how His family should live, is what? Taking the name of the Lord in vain. And that won't go unpunished. So for the children of Israel, Moses begins by reminding them of their identity, that they are children of Yahweh. Now live in such a way, not to bear reproach upon that name, but to bring honor to that name. To bring honor to Him. We read back in chapter 1 of Deuteronomy, verses 30 and 31, where God says He will protect and care for His children. We read, The Lord your God who goes before you will Himself fight on your behalf just as He did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you just as a man carries his son in all the way in which you have walked until you came to this place. God is there for you. He will protect you. He will care for you. And then he makes this now: As a father cares for his son, God will care for you. You are a part of God's family. But the second thing he mentions here is that they were a separated people unto God. They were a separated people unto God. He says, you are a holy people to the Lord your God. They were a holy people. The word holy means separated. They were not simply a people who would enjoy God's favor, but they were a people separated for God's use. Remember, they would bring utensils to the temple to be used... But they would separate them. They would sanctify them. Set them apart for holy use. And Moses says, as the people of God, you have been set apart for holy use. There's a devotion that ought to be directed toward Yahweh. And not towards any other God. Matthew Henry says, separated and apart for God, devoted to his service, designed for His praise, governed by His holy law, graced by a holy tabernacle, and the holy ordinance relating to it. you are a people that are separated for His service. You ought to be a people devoted to Him. Thirdly, they were a chosen. A chosen people for God. A chosen people for God. It says here, the Lord has chosen you for His own possession. You're His. He owns you. And even as believers now, we we recognize I've been bought with a price. I'm not my own. I belong to another. I belong to Him. And here, when when... Moses mentions He's chosen you for His own possession. He is speaking of His own sovereign will. God divinely selected you to be His own. Not because of anything He found in you. Not because there was something about you that appealed to Him. But simply by His own sovereign will, He set His love upon this people. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 and 7, we read these words, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. For the Lord did not set His love upon you or choose you, Because you were more in number than any of the people, for you were fewest of all the people, but because the Lord loved you. Why did he choose you? It's not because he saw a mighty, great throng of people and said, I want them on my team. Because you were fewer in number, he says concerning Israel. You were the fewest. But I chose you. And you want to know why I chose you? Because I set my love upon you. Because I love you. I chose you to be my possession. So you've been adopted into God's family. You have been separated unto God. You have been chosen for God. But then, fourthly, they were a treasure to God. They were a treasure to God. We read these words. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession. That's the English Standard Version. Can you imagine? You're a, as a believer, you're a treasured possession of God. He treasures you. He treasures you. What what wonderful language Moses uses to express the affection that, that God has towards His people. You're treasured. I mean, when someone comes to you and says to you these words, I treasure you. I treasure you. It's an expression of, of such great and mighty love they have for you. And God says that about His people. They were people treasured by God more than any other on the face of the earth. Imagine. As Mr. Spurgeon said, and we read it this morning, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But they're nothing compared to how He feels about His people. You are a treasured people. Do you see your identity? I mean, Israel, as they're getting ready to go in the promised land, Moses reminds them, listen, you're part of God's family. You've been separated for His use. You ought to be devoted to Him. You are a people that He set His love upon. He chose you. Out of all the peoples of the earth, He chose you. And then and then He treasures you. How do, how do you respond? Oh, okay, I guess He likes me. I'm going to still do whatever I want. I guess He likes me, but I'm going to give Him the praise that is His due. No. I trust when God says that about His children, there's something that rises within us that says, I must follow Him. I must be obedient to Him. And so here we have their identity that should, you think, move them to obedience. And yet, do you recognize that's how God feels about us in the new covenant? He's adopted us into His family. We are the son. If you're a believer, you're a son of the Most High God. Your Heavenly Father watches over you, cares for you, disciplines you because He loves you. Some of us who've had fathers who've been less than a wonderful example of what a father ought to be, to think about God being our father took some, took some mental exercise on our part. You mean He's a father? And we think of our earthly father? It's like, But God's not like that. God treasures you. He loves you. He cares for you. He will protect you. He will guide you. He will lead you. He will never forsake you. Some of us know what it is to be forsaken by an earthly father. Not around. Not to be seen. Can't talk to. Can't go to for counsel and help. Not God. God will be there. We are part of the family of God. We're His chosen people. God divinely selected us. He sovereignly selected us And gave us His name. He set us apart for holy use. To be used by Him in this world. And He treasures us. Well, that's our identity. But now secondly, notice with me their activity. And here we come to that portion of Scripture where all these animals are mentioned. The clean and the unclean. But here is, here's the broad lesson that I think we need to get across this morning. The people of God are not only distinguished from the world by their identity, but also by their activity, including their activity around the kitchen table. They're distinguished by their activity. And here Moses sets before them two areas in which their distinction should be seen. Moses is saying you ought to be a distinct people. When you enter into that promised land, you ought to be a distinct people. And and then he says, "Let let me just look at two areas in particular. First of all, the area of mourning, that is grieving, mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. The area of mourning and the area of your meals. You ought to be distinguished from the world in these two areas. First of all, they were to be distinguished or distinct in their mourning. In their mourning. Israel was not to imitate the grieving customs of those around them. And so therefore they are told, You shall not cut yourself or shave your forehead for the sake of the dead. For the sake of the dead. These were practices that would take place with bell worship. The bell worship of the Canaanites. In in the midst of grief, in in the midst of going through sorrow and and, and calamity, they they would cut themselves or or they would shave their heads. Remember back in 1 Kings chapter 18? 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah and the prophets of Baal come together and they have this contest. And the prophets of Baal cry out to Baal. Pleading for, for Baal to send down fire from heaven. And nothing happens. And, and Elijah begins to ridicule them. And so what do they do? They begin to cut themselves. Thinking that in doing so, God their God Baal would have pity upon them and send fire down from heaven. In the midst of, of this grievous time, as we're crying out to God, He's not hearing us, so they begin to cut themselves. Well, Moses is telling them, don't practice things like they do. Don't do that. Israel already has the attention of God, so they don't need to behave in this way. They do not need to mourn as they did because they know that they're treasured by their God and they can trust Him. Even when calamity comes into their lives, they can trust Him. He cares for them. He will not forsake them. So therefore, do not worship God in the same way that the world worships their God. Be distinct. So in their mourning, there was to be this distinction that's seen. But then secondly, there's to be a distinction in their meals. Here in Deuteronomy 14, we, I believe, have a summary, a brief summary of what has been opened up in detail in Leviticus chapter 11. In Leviticus chapter 11, there's more detail concerning these dietary laws of what's clean and unclean. And so here, Moses is summarizing what has been set down already in Leviticus chapter 11. It is a call to what the children of God can eat. Now, some of you, maybe not, may be disappointed because we're not going through this passage and considering every animal that is mentioned. I'm not going to do that. No doubt, when such a passage is read, there there are kinds of reactions. Some reaction is just speed through it. Just get through it. I'm going to get through the Bible in a year. This is part of the Bible. i got to get through it. Some are wanting to stop and say, hmm, what are these things? What's the difference between a divided hoof and chewing the cud? How come you can eat a sheep but you can't eat a camel? What is a roebuck? What is that? By the way, from my understanding, it's a male male deer of some type. A divided hoof What does that look like? I mean, some of us haven't been raised on a farm. What's a divided hoof anyway? And so we may read this and say wow what what is all this talking about and and may I say this, that we need to read it in light of the whole of Scripture. We need to read this in light of the whole of Scripture. And let me remind you of just a couple of texts, Matthew chapter 7: 14 and following. Matthew 7:14. And Christ said to them, "Hear me, everyone, and understand. There's nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man." When he entered a house away from the crowd, talking about Jesus, and when he, Christ, entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And so he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated Thus, he declared all foods clean. The Word of God says, Christ says, I'm declaring all foods clean. Remember in Acts chapter 10 when Peter had that vision and the sheep came down out of heaven with all the unclean animals? And what does God say? Kill them and eat. And what does Peter do? You want me to what? You want me to eat these things? And of course he's told what God has cleaned, what God has cleansed is no longer considered unholy. There has been a fulfillment of the Old Testament dietary laws. So we don't have to be concerned about what is clean and unclean animals. So you, this might be good news for some of you, you can enjoy a bacon sandwich without a violation of your conscience. Enjoy the bacon sandwich. So why were these laws given? If it only served a temporary season in the economy of God, what was their purpose? What profit does a text like this have for us What profit is there in the unclean and the clean? What is it? And if you read the commentaries, various ideas, some believe it was a health issue. God was instructing His people not to eat these things because He knew it wasn't good for them. It was unhealthy. And some still believe that today. However, if you read down through the text, nothing about one's health is ever mentioned. Some believe it may have a cultural or religious effect. Some of these animals were used for pagan ceremonies. They would have had a pagan importance. And there was something about living in this time that what you ate said something about who you are. Remember when Daniel and his three friends were taken? And they would not eat the king's meat. Why? They did not want to be identified with the king. They wanted to be identified with the people of God. So there were certain things they were willing to eat in order to distinguish themselves from others. So what is proper and what is not proper? How come you can eat a goat but you can't eat a buzzard. Well, why is it you can, you can eat a catfish, but you can't eat dolphin? Dolphin doesn't have fins. They're unclean. And some believe it has to do with religious ceremonies. In fact, when you read down through here, verse, verse 21, it talks about you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And it's believed that that was some religious ceremony or practice given by the pagans, and you're to distinguish yourself from them. So, what do we do with all this? Well, I believe we walk away with two things, two words, two words. One is obedience and one is separation. Obedience and separation. God is declaring His Lordship. And for the the children of Israel who are about ready to go into the Promised Land, God says to them, This you shall eat and these things you shall not eat. He lists 22, I believe, 22 different unclean animals. And then the birds, which ones are clean and unclean. But these you can eat, these you can't eat. And God is saying, I'm Lord in your life. You're to be obedient to Me. Whether you understand it or not is not the issue. The issue is, be obedient to what I say. Just like in the garden. You can eat of any tree in the garden. Except for one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, Why? Was it bad? Was it bad fruit? Was it bad to look? No, it had good fruit. It was was a very enticing fruit on that tree. Well, why can't I eat it? Because God said so. God said so. And you're distinguished from the world when you're obedient to God. When God tells you, here's how you're to live. And here's what you're to do. When God says to you, children, children, honor your father and your mother, you may say, why? Why do I have to do that? And at the end of the day, the answer is, because God said so. You know, that's, that's, that's one of the standard reasoning of every parent. Well, mom and dad, what? Because I said so. But the ultimate I said so doesn't belong to parents, it belongs to God. He says so. And I must obey. And I am distinguished from the world when I so live in obedience to the Word of God. So what I am in my home, what I am at the workplace, what I am in a classroom, what I am socially, I must be obedient to God's Word. Whether I understand it or not, I must obey. The second word is that of separation. Separation. Now, I grew up with that term when I was younger. And, and of course, they had the idea of separation means we're to be odd. So, you know, it was don't touch this. Don't look at this. Don't, you don't go to movies. You, 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 you don't drink alcohol. You, you don't, you know, all the do's and don'ts. That's Separation. But what Moses is calling the people of God to is not of taste not touch not but he's calling us to be a distinct people to be separate from the world to have a life that is marked out as as something something different something different I heard one say that the believer, as believers, we don't wear a uniform. right? I mean, look around. None of us look alike. All right? Some people have ties on, some people don't. Some people have pullovers, some people don't. All right? We, we don't have a standard uniform that we walk out of here and say, oh, those people are Reformed Baptist. I can tell they're Reformed Baptist. Now, if you walk out of here with a Trinity hymn book and a 1689 confession, people might say, oh, they're Reformed Baptist. Right? But other than that, we don't have a uniform. So how we live in this world is how we distinguish ourselves from the world. Come out from among them and be ye separate, thus saith the Lord. Paul says to the Corinthians, quoting, I believe it's Isaiah 53, you're to be a separate group of people. You're to be distinguished. There's to be a difference between you and and the world, how you live, and how the world lives. That's what I believe Moses is getting across here. And so while the dietary regulations have been fulfilled, done away with, everything is clean, don't call something unclean that God called clean, we're still to be a distinct people. That people will know us by our good behavior and glorify our Father who is in heaven. That's the lesson I believe we need to take away from this text. Not walking out, is this clean? Does this thing have a hoof? Is this a? And it's because one of the rules was, you know, you find something that died on its own, You're going down the street and there's some animal dead in the street and the birds haven't got to it yet and you pick it up. You can't eat that, but you can sell it. You can sell it to a forwarder or you can give it to the guy, but you can't eat it. Why not? If he can eat it, why can't I eat it? If I find a deer that died of natural causes, that's good meat. Man, I can fill my refrigerator with that. He said, no, you can't eat it. You can sell it. Why? Because God said so. Is that enough? Is that enough? If God says it, I will do it. I will do it. And that's what he's teaching us here. Don't use my name in vain. Be obedient. Be distinct in your behavior. Well, may God teach us and may we have open hearts to learn His Word that we would be obedient to all He commands us to be. Let's pray. Father, again, thank You for the instruction that Your Word gives to us. And Father, we pray that we would never lose the wonder of who we are in Christ Jesus. That Father, that would be a motivation to so live for You in this world. Father, we're thankful that You adopted us into Your family, that You chose us before the foundations of the world, that You set us apart for holy use, that You would use the likes of us to advance Your kingdom, to glorify Your name. And then, Father, we're Your treasured possession. Might we rejoice in that reality that such love was placed upon us. And therefore, we pray that in this world, we would be a people that so live for You and, and desire to please You in every part of our lives that others may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in Heaven. And so, Father, we pray that even a of Scripture like this would have lasting effect upon us so that we would be a people who are obedient, submissive to Your Word, who are also distinct, separated from those of the world. Help us, we pray, as we ask these things in Christ's name, Amen. closing take your trinity hymn books turning to 456 456 a hymn in which we plead with our father to teach us, to guide us, to help us, to guard us and to bless us as we live in this world. 456 in the trinity hymn books. Let's stand together as we sing. Afternoon service will be what I think one of the best parts of gathering with God's people, coming to the table of remembrance as we remember what Jesus Christ did in order
1: to bring salvation for his people. You are dismissed.